Hello, everyone, and welcome to Steadfast Purpose, the podcast that hopes to inspire and encourage you through the stories of individuals who had to overcome extraordinary circumstances to become who they are today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of Steadfast Purpose. On today's episode, I have a friend, brother, who I've gotten to know. His name is Carlos Sandoval. He's worked as a surgical trauma tech for cardiac and trauma surgery at a local hospital for over 30 years. He's also a trauma prevention associate for YDAD, a guide for court-appointed DUIs, and he serves on the panel for Orange County School Districts for the Juvenile Offender Program. Carlos, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you, Sergio. It's a pleasure to be here. Dude, I'm so glad you're here. It's, I know you took some time off. You're getting off work right now. It's Saturday. You could be somewhere else, but you're here sharing your story today, man. How you doing today, bro? No, I'm doing good, man. Just a little tired, but you know, it's a good tired. You know? So what's life like, bro, being a surgical tech? Well, it's like one of those things that you don't know what you're going to run into. Um, yeah, I'm on call a lot. And that means that anything could come in through the door. It could be like a, a tier one red. That means like you got to show up quick, you know, and I usually get my, my clothes laid out. Like people ask me, it's like, what do you do? You know, when when uh, you're in a spot, well, I have my family drop me off at the hospital. You know, we got to go on the fly. Uh, we've been at restaurants, we've been shopping, and um, just got to cut out. And um, and it's uh, you know, it's it's a good job. It's uh, it's serious when you go in there, but I I thrive in adrenaline. I think I'm an adrenaline junkie, and always have been. Um, it's chaos, but it's like a controlled chaos. Um, it's uh. There's a lot of um, serious stuff going around. I mean, there's like, it's more, um, the the kinds of traumas that we get aren't knife and gun club, but they're more uh, preventable trauma, car accidents, bike accidents, or just normal people just, you know, with reckless behavior. Um, and they get hurt and uh, their lives are in jeopardy and they're unstable. So they got to come in and get treated. And, and you're there to save the life. I'm right there, man. You know, God's <laughs> given me favor where I can just be right there. And uh, sometimes when the little homies come in, I'm able to kind of settle them down because they get a little excited. So I just kind of pull them aside. So, all right, Dougie, <laughs> you're home. You're safe. He's in. They're like, stay with me, dog. Stay with me. Don't leave me. I'm, uh, I'm going to be right here. Now, Don't for those worry. listening, um, right off the bat, when you look at Carlos, you don't think he's a surgical tech. You know, he he's tatted up, fully tatted up. And uh, you wouldn't think a guy like you would be a surgical tech just simply on appearance. And when you said homie and doggy, like that is the background you come from. You know this lifestyle, so you get to see some, so you can relate to those kids to calm them down. Now, um, you grew up in San Juan Capistrano, correct? So, yeah, I grew up in San Juan Capistrano, right in the barrio right there uh, on uh, La Sanja and Camino Capistrano. Uh, I grew up there and to like about the age of, five i grew up right there and then my family along with two other families that were brothers and sisters decided to buy a house in the east side of town and uh, they called the village but we established in those four six years we've established relationships with a lot of people we uh we had my parents had compadres they had you know that they just bonded with and grew um went to church with on sundays and they just that was that was those were our people and um, eventually we moved to the east side of town where there weren't a lot of people of color there. Most of the people that were there were, you know, Anglo. And uh, 
So we showed up and we all right away, you know, what are they doing? You know, what are, you know, stereotypes. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's like, you know, growing up right there, you know, you, you went to a different school, you know, because they, they we were zoned for a different school. So, um, I got shuffled around a lot, you know, being, um, I had a, I had a learning disability that people would call ADD today. Um, I wasn't focused and I really had a hard time just being able to stay on one task. Um, partly to, you know, when I was there, you know, there was a lot of abuse, an alcoholic abusive home. Um, I myself was a victim of childhood abuse in which my uncles who were, you know, they, they were just extra, you know, just introduced me to porn, just try to get, you know, um, you know, really close to me and, and do things to me. And honestly, I think I would wake up on certain occasions and they would be on top of me. And I'm, and I'm being transparent here because I think through the message that I say here today, I know I'm going to touch somebody or somebody else has been through this mm. because this is something that's never talked about. And, and, it, and it's hard. It is very know, hard. Because, you know, uh, you know as, a, as a Mexican, mm. Mexican-American, and yeah. I come from that same background, you know, mm-hmm. the machismo is still there yeah. and the pride. And yeah. you're like, I can't share that or I can't feel this vulnerability right. to talk about this transparency. Yeah. And, 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 and when someone hears your story on you being transparent in, in that area of your life, it, you know, it opens it up for them to understand what's going on and maybe yes. to relay and make a change somewhere, mm-hmm. which I appreciate you sharing yeah. that. Well, it's like, to me, it's like, uh, you get strength through vulnerability, you know? And, um, and I learned that in life, you know, um, as I, as I share about this, you know, the more you share about it, the more, it's not on your back anymore. You know, you are, you are growing as an individual. That was my, my, um, that was my imperfection, uh, that used to hold me back. And now it's, I just use it as a trampoline to, to spring <laughs> forward, back, yeah. bounce back. And, uh, cause, uh, I'm not, I, the more I talk about it, the less it makes it. Yeah. So, uh, you, so you had, um, several family members in your house, yes. right? And that's like, for for people that don't understand, um, as as immigrant parents come, you know they they tend to do that. They have family members or other people they become friends with that they move in together and live in the household to help each other, you know, financially or whatever it may be. And I mean, I I went through that as a kid, you know, uh, for a period of time. And uh, um, <clears throat> what were your parents like when you were growing up in San Juan, especially um, in the area? where there weren't a lot of Mexicans, uh, Mexican-Americans. And um, a lot of people may say, like, Orange County is very diverse. Or the opposite. Orange County, uh, San Juan, uh, San Clemente, you think about these places and you're like, oh, this is like all the rich folk live there. But it's not true. No. Um, There's a lot of, and I call them marginalized people. You grow up with certain people. And um, I think that that those families <laughs> or those friends that I we established in La Sanja, we were a pocket of people that just stayed within ourselves. We talked amongst themselves and rarely did we ever go outside because of one, I think it was just fear. And then, um, you know, it's, uh, we, we would get stares, you know, and, and I remember it clearly, you know, it, well, we were, we were let, we were, we were pretty much told that we were not welcome. And yes, there is 
I mean, you go down the street nowadays into San Juan, you're going to run into three different neighborhoods. You're going to run into the village. That village has changed dramatically, maybe 80% Latino now, um, you know, mostly Mexican. And then you go to La Sanja, and that's always has been uh, that way. But then you go a little further to the west side of town, then you got the Carolas, you know, Carolina Street, and that's pretty deep too. Um, and that's where you'll, you'll find those certain people that if you if you go in there looking for trouble you're gonna find it you know yeah. and uh just like anywhere else just like anywhere else you know and um so it's uh growing up there you know especially when i was growing up it wasn't like that but it wasn't until like you know the 2000s where it just it just took off um your parents well, okay what did they do for a living at that time okay so my dad was a mason um cement finisher and he would work with my uncles. They lived actually in San Clemente. Like two of the uncles lived in San Clemente. They got a company going. And they ran it as a family business. Well, um, you know, a lot of my uncles who were living there at the house were did the same thing. So they were just a mean machine of, of people that would just come in, do the work for the day, and then party at the end of the night, you know. And they the liquor ran freely in my home. Uh, my dad always felt like he was the entertainer, you know, oh, let's bring some pisto over here, some drinks. And it was, the drinks were always flowing in that house, you know, and it was like an entertainment house, or an uncle or somebody would come over, oh, let's go get drink. And they drank when they were happy and they drank when they were sad. And so that's, that's just the hard work ethic, you know, he's always been like, you know, and he, he used to teach us, cabron, if you're going to go out to drink, you better make sure to we'll get up and work the next day. So that was instilled in us. Which is what Mexicans are known for now. Yeah. yeah. Party I mean, hard, and the next day you're at work. Strong work ethic. Yeah. Strong work ethic. Uh, my mom, on the other hand, she raised us for like a little while, but I could tell that she wasn't, you know, too maternal. She did not like raising kids, and I think she told me later that I just hated being in the house. And um, so she, um, she got to work. She worked at, like, you know, uh, fabricas, which are like um, the warehouses, warehouses, yeah. warehouse workers, and and uh, you know odd jobs here and there. And on the weekends, she would clean houses, and because uh, my, you know, my dad was a Rolling Stone. You know, you couldn't stop him. He was a uh, when he would start drinking, and you know, he was uh, go to the bars and be really social, buy people drinks. When he had the money, he blew it. You know, and sometimes there were times we didn't know how we were going to eat or how we were pay the rent. So um, my mom had to go back to work and then kind of hold it down because um, you never knew when dad was going to go on a good one that's hard yeah. that's hard mm -hmm. now growing up you're going to school you're doing all things and you mentioned um that you uh were that kid that was trying to find a place to fit in yeah so your brother who's older got involved um in gangs yeah at what age um did you say i want to be like my brother I think I always did. I kind of modeled myself. Well, if my older brother's dressing like this. I'm going to dress like this, you know? So, I, you know, I tried to, you know, he was dressing like a new waiver, and I started to do it too. And then, uh, you know, um, then he started, like, you know, dressing like more like the party scene, which was like the big, the earrings and the, and the you know, the hair, spiky hair and the Z Cavaricis and all <laughs> different clothes, you know, and like, of course, I was broke, so I couldn't afford none of that. So I did my best to use whatever I had in order to um, to to feel like that. So I always kind of looked after him because, you know, he, he was pretty popular with the ladies and uh, 
And uh, I was so, so shy. I was painfully shy. So I just kind of tagged around, basically. And um, then it wasn't until later that, like, you know, when he got busted for, for sales of uh, cocaine that he went to jail. And when he was in jail, he kind of found his identity as as a homie. And, you know, oh, you're from San Juan? He's like, oh, well, I live in San Juan. And then uh, he kind of got char- characterized on that. And then when he got out, then he got jumped in. Hmm. And uh, how old were you then? I was about 16, and I was just like, you know, I was sad when he had to go away for a year. I think he was over at YGC. And it was crazy because his his friends would come around and just see what I was doing. I'm like, well, I, I don't hang out with you or anything, but you won't, I'll, I'll roll with you. And then eventually, like, you know, I was introduced to cocaine, and, uh, and uh, you know, I was just kind of any opportunity I had. I was out in the streets getting in the cars and, you know, sniff and blow, and it was very popular in the 80s to do that. And, uh, of course, weed and, you know, beer, liquor was around, but, you know, when I found Coke, I had that feeling like, this is this is what I want to feel. This is life. This is life right here. This is living. <laughs> now I'm feeling it. And, you know, so I, I always tagged around, and then, um, and I finally, like, you know, started, like, and then my brother got out, and then he was hanging with the neighborhood, and they were coming over to the house, and I got the introduction, and, you know, I was in the car. So, you know, we, we catch some guys slipping that getting, getting along with the neighborhood, and I was out the car, too, you know, and uh, I, I loved it. I loved the adrenaline. Which is interesting because, I mean, you um, your brother was part of the gang, and a lot of times um, from what I've seen and, you know, what I know is usually one is in the gang, all of them follow suit. You yeah, know? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all gonna go. Like right. we, most most of the families, their brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. they all say, I- "I'm going in that direction too." Yeah. But it took you a little while, you know. Yeah. And 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 uh, when you said earlier, you started dressing like it to mm-hmm. get the attention and, and you know be a part of that. Um, it's funny how that happens, right? Like yeah. you start filling in the part, mm-hmm. you know, and and now that you have a reputation, sort of because you're a brother. Yeah. So you were 17 years old. Yeah, um, when I became active. Yeah, and active for people that understand is as you become active and join the gang and be part of the the, the group there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, when was the first time you got arrested for something? Uh, I think I started getting arrested. It didn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was uh, it, it was uh, it was really quick, um, and I got I got away with a lot. Um, I just happened to be lucky in that one particular car that got away. You know, and uh, it wasn't until about I was 17 when I got charged uh, for possession. And, you know, you know, I did the DUIs or not the DUIs, but I did the uh, PC 1000, which is like a drug diversion court. And then, um, you know, along with like, you know, one, two, three drug charges and, you know, uh, assaults with deadly weapons and um you get, you know, and, and, and salt here and there, and you get busted because you get the finger thrown at you. Um, then then you you can start getting the cases stacked up really quick. Yeah. And it's, it, um, so you did all these minor offenses in mm. a sense. Yeah. That would, it, they're still big offenses, you know, yeah. like, you know, you can your time. But um, obviously, a lot of times, guys that were like first offenders, a lot mm-hmm. were getting, you know, you know, six months or whatever yeah. it is. And now it's like different. No, oh, it is. But, um, you know, you do all these small times. Nothing super huge that landed you in prison. No. But you had the reputation building up now. 
um, when people think about gangs, they don't think San Clemente or San Juan mm-hmm. or any of these areas out here south of Orange County. Oh, no. For me, um, you know, I knew the gangs existed because obviously I grew up in Santana and Santa Ana. And, you know, around there, you got Garden Grove, all these areas that are Hispanic primarily yeah. and uh, heavily affiliated with gangs, all that area. But they exist, like you they, said earlier, and they exist. And if you find it, you, you'll find it. And, and you know what's crazy is, like, there has always been a, a city rivalry. You know, as I, as I learned, and I talked to a lot of old timers, and I, and I would ask them this question. I'm like, so where did this rivalry begin? What, what was up? And what, it, what happened is that there used to be a lot, you know, there, always, there was always a migrant community in San Juan, you know? And, uh, you know, so they would, you know, they would be hanging around in their own pockets of people. And, you know, a lot of the Anglo kids from mostly like the surfer kids from San Clemente would get drunk and then they want to go kick some, you know, Mexican butt. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, because, you know, they, they knew that they would run and 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 eventually, um, you know, either one one guy would stand up and then finally, you know, they would mix it up. But, uh, you know, there was no consequences back then like it was. So that town rivalry began and uh, back then. So it then you know, it became popular for the Mexican kids to come down and do the same thing, right. you know, to follow suit. Yeah. And, of course, it went back and forth after that, you know. That was, it always was a town rivalry. And then it became, uh, I think, well, my actually my, my wife, uh, she was a Yamas, and that family was the one that basically started the whole Barrio Chico San Clemente thing. And, um, and uh, her uncle was, you know, active member, one of the founders, actually. And... Um, and so was her brother and her cousins, um, and uh, you know they 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 established the foothold there, and then uh, and they would try to pull the same thing, and then that's when the little homies from the neighborhood decided, you know what, that's enough, we're not going to stand for this, and we're gonna we're gonna start this battle right here. And I don't remember who clearly who the founders were, but I know a lot of old timer homies that that said that you know it was just one day, yeah, it was just too much, yeah. And they say about primarily it started over a girl. and then it started over something it it started over something it initially started out as a hey we're protecting our people in a sense and then these pockets started racing and attacking each other now it's oh heck no it's a rivalry now become a gang right make it official um so you're going in and out of jail in the system at what point did you hit rock bottom and say man what made you change and think twice about what you were doing Wow, and that's like, you know, one of those, that's the million-dollar question everybody wants to know. When did you get that transition? Uh, to me, and this is my own experience, I was at a point where I had a prior case in which involved a, a serious offense, assault with deadly weapon. I, you know, case came at somebody with a knife, and I cut him up. And, um, you know, we blasted the car windows, and we were trying to leave, and we got busted. And so I had a prior case in Los Angeles for a possession charge. And I think just going from one county and then seeing my homies walk out that door and then me getting held back, going to L.A. and then going to Twin Towers and eventually to um, Wayside Supermax where I um, I was there for violating my, um, my, my probation while I was uh, fighting this case. Um, during that time of going back and forth, back and forth, I had a lot of time to think. And at that point, when my parents picked me up, I was released from court. 
with the intention of going to another drug um, drug counseling course um, that I realized that, you know, I'll, I did all this and where is where where is that feeling of feeling complete? Where is that 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 um, recognition that I deserved for putting in my work? Where was it? And I didn't see it anymore. I didn't see the value of hanging with the homies. You know, I just I, I saw the value of hanging with the homies, but I just didn't see the value of banging anymore. You know, I did all this work at, at what cost? You know, I never lawyered up. I pleaded guilty to every, you know, every charge that I had. I didn't know I had rights. I didn't know how to fight it. I just knew how to, you know, how to just fight. Yeah. And it's crazy you say you never lawyered up and you pleaded uh, guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, that's hard sometimes, too. Yeah. Because then they look at you and say, hey, that guy probably snitched. Yeah. Or, you know, or why is he taking a deal? Mm. You know, who'd you point the finger at? Mm-hmm. And even though you didn't, sometimes they, that could just you know flip and yeah. and they turn on you. Mm. But it, it's crazy you say that that you don't you didn't start seeing the value of being part of the gang in a sense and doing putting in the work mm-hmm. for the gang yeah. and not seeing anything for it. Yeah. And I've seen many cases where guys put in a lot of work and uh, in return get nothing, or as a matter of fact, you know, get killed for yeah. uh, over jealousy. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's crazy that you started thinking that on your own. Well, that was like, like at 19, you know, so, you know, I, I, I put in a lot of work for those two years and, um, and, and it just at the end of the day, I had nothing to show for everything I've done. Um, and it's, it's crazy because like, yeah, the, the neighborhood didn't like that I was dating a girl from the other city. You know, they didn't like the fact that, you know, her brother might be around. And, you know, and I, and I was transparent. I said, yeah, I saw this dude, you know, her brother. And, you know, he was he was a family man. He came at me respectful and, and he shook my hand. And I told one of the homies that and he just used that as fuel. Hmm. And then I remember my I was like deep down. I was like so mad, but I was more heartbroken than mad. You know, it was just like. F these dudes, I'm a, you know what? I'm going to come. I'm going to get revenge. And and I did. <laughs> I, I I went at them one by one, you know, and uh, and that's the way I dealt with it. But I I just didn't feel complete. Like I didn't feel happy that I had to do it. Yeah. Um, and as I look back, I kind of um, I was working with uh, Dr. Tom Shaver at this time, and he was a, a trauma surgeon that through one of the programs that I was appointed to, he became my mentor and offered me a job uh, in the hospital, and that's how I ended up there. Um, and uh, the print, <laughs> the way it worked out is that uh, the only way that I got to keep my job there is if I did, if I completed my GED and I kept my nose clean, and I didn't get any trouble, then I get to keep my job. Pretty easy. Pretty easy, right? But when you're 19 <laughs> you're and a 19. knucklehead, yeah. it's not so easy because I'm still using, you know, yeah. I'm still using, and and I think most of the, you know, when I was banging out there, about 90% of the time I was loaded, hmm. you know, because. You know, if, if, if it came to me and I was sober, then, I, you know, I dealt with it. But if I was going to go drive 50 minutes on a freeway to go get at some fools that, you know, that I'm going to unleash my anger at. Because believe me, I, I used to suppress a lot of anger. 
And, you know, that's what I used to do. I'm a professional stuffer. I stuff my anger. I keep it inside. And I, and I look for the poor, you know, individual that I found catch slipping a, either at an intersection or just walking down the street with his girlfriend and I jam him up. And that's, you know, how I did a lot of things. And that's, they used to give me this, uh, the temporary gratification of, of catching somebody slipping. We'll go back to, uh, um, the doctor that offered yeah. you a position as a, uh, in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But, um, you mentioned something right now that, you, that, um, was interesting. You were, um, stuffing your anger mm. and taking it out on other people. Yeah. Um, what was causing that anger? Well, the anger came from all that abuse that happened when I was younger. You know, um, I, it was crazy because I would try to share it with my, my parents, like mom, dad, like some weird happened to me, you know? And they would, I remember my brother like laughing and I was just like, you know, this is not funny. And my mom just kind of nodding her head in disagreement. No, no, no. And then my dad just kind of being like shrugging his shoulders, you know, I'm like, wow. I'm alone. Hmm. I'm alone. And I have to, now, you know, I just got to learn to stuff this and get over it, I guess. You know, I'm like nine, ten years old or something learning to stuff. And there's probably stuff that happened before that, but I cannot remember for the life of me the age before nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, you, you know, you use that as a blessing or, uh, you know, so you don't remember certain things. And maybe that's, I'm just, I'm just blessed that I don't have to remember things. You yeah. Know? That, yeah, that's true. And so by the time that I'm, you know, 16 years old, I'm heated. I'm looking to prove my manhood to people and prove that I'm not going to stuff things anymore. So that provided the outlet and being on drugs and alcohol provided the outlet for me to go unleash my, 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 my fury and show everyone what I'm about. Yeah. So you can get this opportunity to get clean, um, have in a sense, a mentor, a guide in life now, uh, I don't know if you would consider him a, a father figure or, or a, a role model to that extent. Yeah. You know, and, and it was a trip because like, you know, the reason I got to know him is because one of my friends got shot and uh, we were in the waiting room one day. And then I remember this old man trying to come over and try to talk to us. You know, this guy, you know, in the lab coat and everything. So, Hey guys, what the hell's going on here? And how the hell did this guy get shot? And you know, I'm like, who the hell are you, man? You know, and I wasn't one of the primary people that talked to him, but I told him, you know, I told him basically kick rocks, get out of here. And, you know, he walked away and, you know, I thought I'm never going to see this guy again anyway. And uh, I was appointed, uh, you know, to do a youth alcohol drug diversion program at the hospital. And there he is right there walking across the street. And I'm like, oh, man, that's him. And I saw him pass the hallway and then I see him come right back. And I'm like, oh, man, he saw me. And then, hey, you come here. And uh, I'm like, oh, man. He's like, you, the, the guy that was there at the time, you better go talk to him. I'm like, dang, here we go. So I go over there and walk up to him. Hey, weren't you the SOB that told me <laughs> to, like, you know, do this and, you know, go go um, kick F rocks. myself? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kick rocks and somebody. <laughs> I'm like, I, I couldn't even have time to explain. Look, you, you know, I saved your friend's life. and uh, I'm like, you know, and I just let him have it. You know, I just took it, took it. You know, what am I going to do here? So he kind of hit me up against the wall right there. He didn't physically do it, but he just kind of had me cornered. And I'm like, I got to be here anyway. I got to fulfill these hours. If I don't, I'm going to violate. So, you know, I heard what he had to say. And he's all, so where, where the hell do you want to be in five years, guy? And that was his thing. You know, he called everybody guy. Hey, guy, where do you want to be in five years? And I couldn't give him an answer. I thought my lot in life was just 
to do, you know, construction to, um, and, and, you know, work hard and go home and drink and do the same thing that they did. You know, I never saw anybody, especially people of color, you know, attain much out of the neighborhood or they never came back to circle back to tell us, Hey, this is possible. So my goal was that, you know, and, um, I told him, I don't know what I want to do. Honestly, I don't have a job. I'm a felon and nobody will hire me. He's all, well, guy, here's my card. Call my office in, in about a week. We'll set something up. And so like, you know, at this point, like, you know, I, I told you, I was kind of like, you know, I, I put the neighborhood, I, I wasn't out of favor, but I felt like I was out of favor with the neighborhood. And, uh, I actually took the advice that he had and I showed up and, and during the interview process, they're like, yeah, how did you interview? What happened to, to your last job? Why'd you get fired? Oh, well, me and my boss got into a fight. He was a tweaker and, and I ended up beating him up. So, uh, you know, that, that whole, uh, he thought you, you can't say that in an interview. Oh, okay. Well, I was very green. You know, I didn't know how to right. act. I didn't know how to know how to be professional. Um, uh, and I definitely didn't know how to interview. So, um, so there I was, uh, they did some paperwork for me and I think I was in and out of working security at a, at a retirement home. And I think that was a qualifier for me to get into the hospital. Oh, this guy kind of does healthcare. I mean, let's get him in. So I got in his housekeeping and, um, and Dr. Schaefer was pretty much, uh, said, okay, these are the pretenses. You can't mess around. You can't screw around here. Um, and this was like a backdoor deal that we did in the nineties, you know? So, uh, <laughs> you're, you're going to be an employee here as long as you, you know, fly straight, you keep your nose out of trouble. Um, and you finish your GD within a year, you get to keep your job. And I had to go do this on board of people, you know, it was, it was real <laughs> serious. I was nervous. I'm like, man, it's, I feel like I'm in court right now. And, uh, yeah, so it was just, uh, one of those deals and I signed a bunch of paperwork and there I went and, um, working in housekeeping, I was just there, you know, I'm, I'm posted up, I'm mad dogging everybody and just kind of hard to find my place. I'm just nervous. I'm thinking people are just looking at me like I'm different. You know, I grew up with special education. I were, I grew up like that. And I never wanted people to feel, to make me feel like I was different. Yeah. And it's kind of like a front that I put up as hey, don't mess with me. Don't cross me. Don't talk smack about me, you know? And it's a, it was just a, it was just a, an instinctual uh, defense mechanism that I used for a long time. So, um, you obviously completed your year. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, at one point, did uh, did you decide to pursue your your current career, which you've been doing for over thirty years? Now, yeah, it's crazy. which is crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and it wasn't until I had an experience, and it was like this, you know. So you know, I'm I'm right there. I'm mad dogging everybody. So people are starting to get scared. Like, what's wrong with this guy? You know, uh, he's not talking with nobody. He's not social. He's just he's just always mad. He always looks like he's mad. And you know, like I said, it was again it was the front. And it, there was this one time, okay, there was this, you know, they decided, okay, well, we got to break this guy. We got to get him to talk and be social. So we're going to use him as a transporter. We're going to send him to go get our patients from upstairs and bring him down to the pre-op holding where they go before surgery. And they're like, okay, we're going to do this. So I just saw one, saw two. All right, you're doing the next one. So I go there and I pick up this lady and she, like immediately as I walked in the door, I knocked on the door and, um, and she kicked me right out. She, she F-bombed me. She told me to get the hell out of her room. And I went back to the charge nurse uh, desk. And I'm like, is this the lady that's supposed to go to surgery? Because she's pretty heated. And it doesn't sound like she wants to go anywhere. 
no, that's her. She signed her paperwork, so she's got to go. Good luck. And I was pretty much on my own. Like, you know what? I got all the courage I could muster. I just, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not gonna let her talk to me that way. Who does she think she is? So I go in there with my chest all high, and I'm like, Savaske, lady, trip out on this, eh? I need you to get on this gurney, all right? And because uh, I need to take you downstairs. You signed the paperwork like you need to do it, you know, that we need to fix your arm, and you're going to get on this gurney and listen to me. F you, I'm tired of this. You're tired of you guys telling me what to do. And she sat on that gurney and she began to cry. Tears were just rolling down. And I'm like, dang, I'm in trouble. Mom, what am I going to do now? <laughs> I broke this lady. Now she's going to trip. <laughs> she's going to say that I talked to her like really sternly. And her, she could say anything she want because I'm on probie, you know? And, uh, and, there, and then I'm like, look, lady, I am sorry for raising my voice. I'm like working in, they told me to come up here and start picking up patients. And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm new to this thing. Okay. I don't even like working here. Okay. Cause I'm nervous all the time and, and I can't find my place. Can you just be cool with me and, and just sit down so we can, um, so I can take you downstairs. And at that moment, I just had, a, we were both expressing vulnerability, you know, huh. and we just had a human level right there where where it's just like we weren't, I wasn't a, I wasn't a cholo, you know, and she wasn't, you know, a Karen. And and right there, we just had a moment. She, she had her defense up, you know, because she was scared. I had my defense up because I was scared. And, you know, she's all, can you just hold my hand? And then I walked her downstairs and I was, you know, pushing the gurney. I'm like, you're going to be all right. Just talk to people a little bit differently. Maybe, you know. Maybe they're just like, you know, they'll, they'll treat you, they won't treat you as, as, they'll treat you like you want to be treated, you know? And then what's crazy about that experience is that she wrote a letter, what a good experience it was. And because I told her my story and how I got there. And and then they, uh, she wrote a, a letter of, you got to keep this guy, you know, you know, he's, he's real good. You, you know, you'd be a disservice if you fire him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, so that, like, you know, and then my manager presented his letter to me and, you know, I got a little award and saying, oh, hey, you know, great job today or whatever. And then I felt a little more confident, you know. I felt like a little more pep in my step, you know, because I was ready to give up. I wasn't happy at that job. Um, and then it's like, wow, maybe this is it. And then my eyes started opening up to some attainable goals that were there, like some careers that were possible. Nah, math. Medical school? Nah, I don't know about all that. That's crazy. What about a nurse? Nah, that's for girls. And then, and, and, you know, I noticed some people in the back and there are these surgical techs and they were a bit goofy. I'm like, if those goofy vatos can do it, I can do it. And, <laughs> and there was this other, like, uh, like a surfer dude that used to work there with me and did the same kind of job I did as housekeeping and um, picking up patients. They call them orderlies. And uh, he was doing it right there. And that guy used to get blazed all the time. You know, he would come in blazed and everything. And, and uh, when, when I talk about blazing, he used to smoke the marijuana. And then, um, you know, he, uh, he's like, dude, I was thinking the other day, I was thinking about maybe going to tech school, bro. Will you go with me? I'm like, nah, man, crazy, bro. I don't want to do that kind of job. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to hit the books. Oh, come on, bro. It's in Santa Ana, bro. I'm scared. And he was just, <laughs> I'm like, all right, fine. He was funny. It came, came to truth that he was scared to go to Santa Ana. Uh, so I, I went with him, and then he was signing his paperwork, and then I, the guy came up to me, and he's all, uh, so you work at the hospital, huh? You know, you already got your foot in the door right there. I'm like, for you to go to school and 
you know, you're going to get a job right away. You have a lot of people here that are still trying to find a job, and you're, you're very fortunate. I'm like, all right, let's check this out. So, of course, I signed paperwork, and I'm shaking my head. I'm like, what did I just do? How am I going to pay these student loans back? Am I crazy? But, you know, that's, that's what I needed to do at that time. And it was like a, an extensive two-year accelerated program. Um, and uh, it, it's what I needed to do. And it's kind of like it was like a two-year investment into myself. Like there I used to do everything for the hood. I did everything for other people. And, and, and I had nothing to show. This time I'm going to think about cars for two years. And by this time, you know, my neighborhood got served with a gang injunction. And all the homies that were doing drugs were doing heavier drugs. They were putting everybody away. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to hit the keep doing doing the books and I was working I was grinding dude I was going to school eight hours a day and then going to work eight hours a day I really didn't have any time to mess around I was yeah. just going going hard that kind of reminds me of like that movie Stand and Deliver yeah you know those guys were in and out with the homies and yeah he's trying to study and you know do it for himself mm -hmm. it took one white kid surfer mm -hmm. kid to get you to go into this right when did you find Jesus yeah that's that's one oh man i gotta give it up to my homie memo rest in peace um so me and memo grew up from the time that we were six right uh we knew each other we hung with each other and then like he started dressing a certain way and i was dressing a certain way and we grew up you know he, he eventually moved and moved over to capo beach which is like kind of close to san Clemente. so he went to school with the san Clemente guys so over time, you know, I started representing the hood, and then he was too, so we couldn't hang out anymore, and it broke my heart. So what happened is, like, during this time, fast forward, you know, we, we weren't talking to each other anymore. So I'm going to AA. At this time, I'm going to AA and AA, trying to find, you know, a program that suits me, and I had a real hard time. I'm like, okay, now I'm sober, right? And now i got to figure out how I'm going to live life sober. And uh, what happened was that I didn't know about this till later, but my homie Memo got sober when he was 19. Uh, very similar circumstances. Um, I don't know what it was, but it, he basically found Jesus and got sober. Uh, he still attended ANA meetings. And I go to one meeting in particular, and there's homie Memo. And he still like looked like he was you know active, but then he came up with the biggest smile, and he just... We just hit it off right where we left off, man, when it was like 13, 14 years old. And we, I would hang out with Memo a lot and just kind of like, you know, um, ask him one day. He was he like put an investment in some apartment and he got burned and his girlfriend left him. But he was still happy. And I'm going through stuff myself at this time. I'm trying to stay sober. And I'm asking him, Memo, what is it about you that keeps you so, that you're you had stuff happen to you. Why aren't you miserable? He's like, I got Jesus home. You want to come to church with him? And I show, I'll show you a place where I'm going right now where it's they're all about God. They're all about running to the altar. They're all about just surrendering everything. Come with me. And I did that. And then I went down to the city, city of Orange, uh, Praise Chapel Church, and I surrendered my life that day. But because of the distance-wise, I lived down here in Michigan. It was hard to get up there. and But I was still on fire, you know? I wanted to know him more. Um, and, uh, you know, so I started going to church more and by this time my wife's back with me, you know, I, I didn't talk about, you know, what happened in between, but, um, you know, she left me and I was partying too much and, you know, even though I wasn't banging anymore, I was 
drinking and and doing some more drugs. You know, I'm. Uh, How old were you then? Oh gosh, I must have been about twenty three. So, so you were still going to that school, right? I was going to school, but I was still using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any opportunity I had, I was using. Yeah. Because I still had those demons on me, yeah. you know? And it's I so like, easy to revert back and oh, just be like, oh, I just got to go down the street with the homies real quick. Yeah, and just go swoop up and see right what they're there. doing. Yeah. You know? And then, like, you know, because once I was done with school, I'm like, yeah, man, I got, I just, I'm going to go show the homies what I've done. You know? <laughs> Thinking I could get my accolades and, you know, and but like having a couple beers in them and then... Of course, we're going to call the connection. The connection doesn't respond. Let's go jam them up. Let's go take his money and his dope. And then here we go. And then uh, it would turn into three-day, four-day benders. And uh, and I tried to work as a professional, you know, during this time. But, you know, I've been really close to being busted. And one time I did. And I told him I needed to go on vacation. So I had to go serve four months in county uh, for an assault in a bar. I messed up the dude pretty bad. So... And uh, I only did four months for that. And um, and uh, when I got out, you know, there was a whole lot of restitution to pay. But by this time, you know, my girl who's living with me, she's starting to realize, what are you? Who are you? It's like, why do you have all these guns in the house? Why do you, you know, why are you always up? Why why don't you ever sleep, you know? And it's because I was, I got money now. I can party with good booze and good drugs and as much drugs as I want. And she eventually left. And that's when the descent happened. And uh I think uh, when I was um, 23, I was sitting at the edge of my bed alone, a uh, pile of drugs, and um, I'm a good one for four days. And uh, the sun's coming up, the sun's shining through the blinds, and I realize, and I'm looking at the mirror, and I, and the sun directed uh, right into my eyes, my red bloodshot eyes, and I felt the presence of God right there. And that's when I... Uh, when he wanted something else for me. And I remember that I couldn't sleep and that day I rested. And uh, when I woke up, I just had a different outlook. Like I need to do something, you know, I don't know what, but I need to do something. So I called my employer and I told him, look, man, I'm having a problem with drugs, what do I do? And this real nice lady who had a brother who was in recovery, uh, laced me up with a company that I can call and they would offer me a free rehab and they would pay me to go to rehab. I'm like, yeah, I'm in it. Let's do it. (laughs) So, like, you know, so, so, you know, fast forward. uh, I don't want to take this too long. I started going to the rooms of recovery, found Memo, and with that, found Jesus. And uh, see, the things about the program, it's like, you know, I'm not going to knock down A or NA or any other um, secular program. But what I found was they just didn't drink, but they did everything else. Like I had a sponsor that didn't drink, but he liked to go gambling. Another one like to go not drink, but go to strip clubs. So it's like, to me, it's just like, you know, it, it just, it was never, it never felt right. It felt like I wanted to drink afterwards every time. Because, um, because you're here, you are trying to recover from a specific drug, specific thing. And, and all the temptation is still there. Oh, it's all like, there. Hey, oh, well, you're going through that. Well, hey, let's go hang out afterwards and do whatever. And yeah, everybody else is still going to do their own thing. Right. And and what the thing was, and I found out about later, it's just like, I'm not an addict of one particular thing. I'm an addict of everything. I have that addictive behavior. I want more. It didn't matter what it was, but I want more of it. Whatever gives me the temporary gratification, I want more of it. And that could never be filled, but you fill it up with Jesus and he gives it all, you know, and, you know, you have a Jesus sized hole in your heart and only God can fill it. 
you know, only Jesus can fill it. And that's what happens to a lot of people out there still doing the thing, is my, personally speaking, is that they lack um, a relationship with Jesus. That's, and that's all he wants, you know? Yeah. I think when you truly um, see God, experience God, it's like the, like the verse, you know, you taste it and you've seen. Yeah. You can't go back. No. Now, you're living for this now. And even though the temptation is there, you have this greater power that's telling you, it's okay. I yeah. got you. I got you covered. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got your back. I'm going to let you go. You know, I'm your true homie. I got you. We're, yeah. You're good. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm not saying it's perfect because mm-hmm. we still fall and trip and sin oh. and all that stuff. But it's it's a different outlook now. I, knowing. I, and I didn't. You know, I did slip um, about a year after being sober. Um, I, I went out and tried smoking weed. It was never my thing, never my thing. And it just, and, but then with the weed led to other things, you know, and I was not happy. I think I had either too much favor with God that he gave me that, like that beer didn't even taste like, it tasted horrible. The blow was not the same. It burned me and made me feel sick. I think I got sick that night and it was just, once I had that, I, I couldn't go back. You know, and I needed to experience that, you know, so those people that are just still falling back or having their way, eventually this stuff is not going to fulfill that. When you were Hispanic, you know, especially like me growing up in Santa Ana, Mm. you know, you get used to seeing the same people all the time, whether it's a year from now, 10 years from now, 20, you'll see them there because they don't experience or most of much, you see, not every single person you grow up with. But most of the people you see in the neighborhood when you grow up, they stay there yeah. because they don't know or experience like things like you did. The opportunity to have a mentor say, hey, I got a job for you, but you got to do this. It doesn't happen very often. No. I mean, I know for like my experience, like I moved out of the hood. And sometimes, you know, when you drive back, you're like, man, these people are still here. Like what happened? Yeah. Like they're still stuck here. I can probably come back and they'll still talk about the same thing from 20 years ago, you know? Um, and it's crazy, yeah. But you know, you made it out. Mm. You know, you, you you have Christ in your heart. Yeah. You know, He's changed your life, mm. restored your marriage, restored yeah. your your mentality in terms of how you deal with your trauma from childhood, your drug addictions, mm. all these things. Right. I'm glad I got to hear your story, man. Yeah. I mean, it's because a lot of gang members don't make it out. No. And if they do, they don't make anything really. You know. Well, being a gang member does not have a great retirement plan like <laughs> it does not have a, a you know great pension it doesn't offer anything and um it's it's like it's you you live at you know what is the saying uh you live at the mercy of fools and you almost die by their judgment yeah you know yeah and it's just like you're always worried about what people are talking about what they're saying there's always going to be cheese man they're always going to be gossip there's always going to be that and there's going to be envy too yeah and people don't want to see you succeed and i had a lot of that you know and uh but i just i just i just stopped listening to them you know my antenna was on getting myself together you know and i did that two-year investment um and i see it often in my in my classes you know now i'm the guide of those of those court appointed classes and i and i tell people give yourself a chance you deserve it yeah you know give yourself a two-year investment and and, you know, just apply yourself. Enroll in whatever trade school, whatever school. And circle back in two years and tell me your friends aren't in the same spot. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me. You know, you can come back here and tell me I'm a liar. Yeah. 
You know, and and it's it's so true that people they are comfortable in their dysfunction. But what's even more amazing, I mean, you you you've been doing the surgical trauma tech um, for a while. Yeah, and it's cardiac, which is specialty too. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and then also, you know, a lot of guys like us don't necessarily go and get involved, you know, in the gel system. No. But you're on the board for the Orange County um, districts to help juveniles. Yeah. You know, and, and all kinds, I mean, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, I, they need people like you, people like me, people who can relate to these kids in the struggle. Yeah, because I, I don't think there's a lot of people of color really stepping up. You know, a lot of people who make it, and this is not to, maybe that's just the way they handle things. They want to go live behind their gated home and, you know, up in the hills. But, you know, we are, we need to come back to the valley to be like with the people who, never seen people like us and you know i'm not the top of my career but i'm pretty well respected and um i i found my value here and people see the value in me and what it is that we need to come down to the valley to go see these young folks who are struggling uh who trying to who are trying to hard to find their place i look at all the little carloses that are looking up to people who never saw an attainable goal it was always out of reach and I think the more we're out there, whether in churches and speaking up, because we're big now, you know, uh, there's a huge Mexican and Latino, um, you know, p- kids around here that are just trying to find their way. Yeah. You know? Trying to find a sense of belonging. A sense of belonging. <clears throat> trying to find some guidance. And yeah, it's hard. It's it hard. Is. Because, again, it goes back to who we are as, as Hispanics and Mexicans, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the pride. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean... I think the moment that I decided to uh, change was when I was in like high school and I went to my first summer camp, mm. you know, it was a Christian camp yeah. and I was like, bro, I've never been outside of the hood mm. and I, I'm in the mountains, you know, in, in Big Bear or something, you know, yeah. and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Just that experience alone. Some people don't get to experience leaving the neighborhood, you know, because of the gangs you know you got to watch your back all the time so you you became a christian and you finished your degree now working at the hospital mm-hmm. and you talked about the aa obviously some of these programs were not really fitting for you and just like um the previous episode we, we had a guy who was a cr celebrate recovery mm-hmm. you found celebrate recovery right oh, yeah. and and i assume that that has been like a blessing for you to be a part of. Um, and for those that don't know, Celebrate Recovery focuses on every aspect mm-hmm. of someone's struggle. It's not just a drug addiction because the majority of people, like I say, is like one third of them are there for an addiction. Yeah, you can be addicted to people and yeah. you can be addicted to relationships where they can also be just as toxic as a drug. You know, you're putting all your time and someone you're loving on someone who doesn't love you. You know, it's it's the same thing as a drug. So, you know, um, Pastor, uh, um, gosh, why am I pronouncing? Johnny Baker. John Baker, yeah, uh, and Pastor Rick Warren. You know, just wrote on the Beatitudes of Matthew, and they turned it into a twelve step program, and it's a it's a program of healing. Um, they're not talking about let's just be sober today. Let's just be sober for the rest of our life and whatever struggle, hang up you got. And you're right. Only like maybe 80% of the people there are there for some of the things outside of drugs and alcohol. And um, 
you know, I just love the way the direction of the of the church is going, you know, getting more people of of color to the front lines, being representatives to because we got a lot of hurt people and a lot of people trying to find their way, you know, the last couple of years, you know, I think are a blessing. You know, people look at it like, oh, man, it was it was, uh, you know, it was horrible experience. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you need to see the true colors of people and where, you know, instead of getting mad about certain things, you know, you said like, you know, be angry, be mad, but sin not. But go get mad. To me, I look at it as be mad and go do something about it. Right. If you don't see something, if you see something that's lacking in your neighborhood, if you see something that you didn't have growing up, if you didn't, if you saw something that always just burned you up inside, then stop complaining about it. Go be about it, you know? Get out there. Take be action, that change. Yeah. Take action. You know, I talk to them like I'm talking to my, my younger self. I talk to them, you know, younger kids like I'm talking to my own son, you know? It's like, this is out there, you know? And these programs are available and it's attainable having you know cleaning up your life getting a home all these things are attainable you can and you know if you if you're walking in favor in god's favor you know good things are going to happen to you a year after being sober i had my car pay off two years after that uh, my girl started coming back seeing because i was doing the walk i was doing the work and we and we and a year after that we got married and a year after that got blessed with a home, a small home, a condo. And a year after that, I got a, so why am I going to go pick up again if I'm just getting right. blessed? Yeah. Why am I, yeah. you know, because if I play the tape and I start with one or two beers and start calling the connections, I'm going to be back in the neighborhood because that's where my dysfunction, where I got fulfillment for my dysfunction. Yeah. You know? And I think like you just mentioned the blessings that you have, mm. you know, Thing it goes back down to Romans eight twenty eight. Yeah, you know um, everything works out for those who love God, for mm. the good of those who love God. Yeah, and here you are, man. You got you know you were able to pay your car off. You get a nice family now. You're restored yeah. completely. Yeah, you know there's nothing God can't do. No, and we got people, a big God. Yeah, and even if it's in a car payment, to me it was a big deal. Yeah, but I know God is way bigger than that. But to yeah. me it was big. And a lot of people will say. I want to see my life change overnight mm. and it doesn't work that way. And because then you start putting God in the box and saying, I want you to do this thing for me, but God takes it and says, yeah, it's going to be a process. Yeah. You know, it doesn't happen overnight because mm. there's a lot of things that happen in your life that you got to change Yeah, from your attitude to, mm -hmm. you know, your addictions, the way you think, mm -hmm. the way you talk to people. Yeah. All kinds of things. Sometimes you just got to sit and let God do the work. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially what you were doing. You know, you're going to school. It started by one man saying, one hey, man. I, yeah. got, I got an opportunity yeah. for you. And mm -hmm. now you got to see a, a change in the future and yeah. hope at the end mm -hmm. of the light, at the end of the hallway. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it was funny is something stick with us. You know, sometimes when you pulled up, man, you know, I told you like, hey, look, Carlos showing up in the in the OG Tahoe here right now. <laughs> the gangster car oh, right man. now. I had to, I had a, an 84 El Camino that I had it all tricked out, bro. I got an Irox and my, when my kids started coming and I'm like, you know, when my first one was born, I'm like, I need a family mobile. You know, I need I need a family car, you know, and then like, you know, the Tahoe came all sported like that. I put no money into it. It just came most sporty like that when I traded in my Elko. But I knew that I had to surrender a lot of things. And, you know, it's having a family is just a blessing, bro. Mm -hmm. You know, my kids have never seen me drunk. My And 
and they shouldn't have to. You know, and it's just like, why, why am I going to mess that up now? I know that I'm yeah. going to pick up. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good, man, because mm-hmm. your kids will see a difference in your family compared to their family. Yeah. You know, even though they're all family, that your immediate family, you're putting an example for your kids. You're setting that example. We go to church. We believe in God. Mm-hmm. You have these morals and these values yes. that are different from what you grew up in. And I think that makes it even a, a, a bigger achievement. It's, it's a foundation. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, is that you're laying down in your home. You put it on rocky foundations, you know, um, or like soft foundation. Of course, your house is going to slip. Yeah. And believe me, I'm I'm not perfect. <laughs> you know, I still pop off when I shouldn't. I still say things, but I immediately ask for forgiveness, you know. Even though they're not regularly ready to forgive me, I I I I'm quick to forgive other people who hurt me. And it's hard for like a big cholo dude to say, "Hey, that hurt my feelings." You know? <laughs> that hurt my feelings. <laughs> and you know, and of course, you know, and and it was it's a process man i'm older now you know and, yeah and i i don't want to get heated and i don't want to show my kids that it's okay to yell and throw f-bombs and because we're all human you know yeah and and we seek we seek repentance every day you know um i you know i could i could be like you know talk, but then arguing on the way to church you know yeah <laughs> or like getting mad time. at everybody oh yeah. we're gonna be late i don't want to show late and then you know of course the f-bombs start getting thrown and we're not we're not perfect yeah, you know, everybody has this identity of a Christian and a holy and now no man, we just saw the way, and we we are quick to to ask for forgiveness right away. So what would you say to someone, man, that's listening to this? You know, being Carlos from the hood mm-hmm. to now being a, a surgical tech of over thirty years and developed a career who also is a son of God now. Mm has a family what would you say to someone that's listened to this maybe a youngster maybe someone who doesn't understand where he's at the identity crisis yeah what would you say to that i would say you know listen to what people have to offer we've tried our own way for a long time if you just surrender that and and if you're walking in favor with god he's going to present certain things to you you might not be in a good place at, at that time but if somebody ever comes up to you and gives you an offer and I, I suggest you take it. And I hope that you're in a good place and you're emotionally healthy to to to, to take this on. Um, but I think at that point, like, you know, when you've done, when you're done living how you're living and you're ready to move on and you accept God in your heart, and you, maybe you're just at least just asking to come into your heart and present certain things to you. And uh, because you're tired, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired and you're ready to hear something. And uh, he's going to put people in front of you and at least give yourself a chance. Stop hanging out with those homies who are active. Stop using for a little while. I mean, give yourself a chance is what I tell everybody. Give yourself two years. Go, go search yourself. Go find yourself. Invest in you. And because... I, I guarantee you that you go back in two years, they're still going to be doing the same thing. And at least you will have a career established. You will have a different mindset and you're able to achieve a lot of the goals. If not, you know, within those two years, it'll, it's going to happen over time. Um, just give yourself a chance. You deserve that. That's a good word right there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, everyone deserves a second chance. I mean, God gives us a chance to pay yeah. the price for it. All we got to do is just take the opportunity, like just you take, said. Yeah. You know, he's offering that to us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you did. And and many of us that will be on this podcast have. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate you being here, man, yeah. and sharing your story. It's hard for us to have a platform that we can share a story and be transparent. Because yeah. then a lot of that comes with, you know, the baggage of what may people still say about me. Yeah. But we know that it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I think of all my, like, tattoos and, you know, just the way I walk, the way I talk, I use it as a vessel to look at the little homies out there that were, are struggling or I run into and just tell them about my story, a quick message, you know? And, yeah. Because I, I yell it from the rooftops if I can. But if I can hem up a little homie, and go, hey, so I was going to trip out on this. I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm a child of God and I don't bang, but... You know, I used to, but um, I'm all about Jesus now. I like, you know, they used to come call me Big Thumper in the neighborhood. I'm a Bible Thumper now. Yeah. You know, I'm all about <laughs> it, you know. So, you know, um, yeah, you know, just my life is just different, man. You know, get to know Jesus, man. And, you know, life will, you know, you'll have favor upon you. That's awesome, bro. Yeah, yeah tattoos definitely are a conversation starter for yeah. anything, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, God will use us for, for his purpose yeah, and his, we're for all his vessels, kingdom. man. You know? If someone wants to follow you on, on social media, do you have social media people want to follow you? I do. Um, I'm, I'm setting up, actually, I'm trying to start my own business. Uh, it's um, it's called Mission Driven, and it's a source for people who, um, you know, I normally do a court-appointed class, but I'm willing to open it up where if certain parents are struggling with, with, their, in, with their young kid or, um, you know, they're about to hit the road pretty soon, you know, and... Uh, you really want to instill fear of, you know, of driving and the things that can happen. And I'm able to bring them in to the, to the, um, to a classroom that I've set up and actually bring them into a, uh, hospital and see what happens as a direct result of using, getting behind the wheel and either driving distracted or driving under the influence or anything like that, you know, cause it's a parent's worst fear to get that call at three in the morning. Hey, you need to come over here real quick. And, you know, you want to give uh, every parent the opportunity to do that. And, um, I think that's where God wants me to go with this. And I've been praying on it and asking for discernment on this. And he needs to, he needs me to be in the front lines and be of service. So um, mission-driven right? mission services is going to be up soon. Um, to, um, we're working on the web page right now. Um, if not, you know, big biglows949 at Gmail. Big Lowe's. Yeah. 949 at Gmail. Yeah. And that's in case anybody has questions or wants to get help. Yeah. Um, you're, you are willing to step up and do that. That's awesome, bro. Yeah. Anything else you want to say? No, just the people that are out there, either, you know, new or relatively new in recovery, uh, just keep hanging out. You know, those people who are just on the fence and just, you know, God's, God's big, you know. And uh, even when you feel like nothing else is good is going to happen, just give it one more try. Give yourself at least one more try to accept you know, uh, what's the, the goodness of what God can offer you. Yeah. And thank you guys for coming to listen to this podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe, follow, share. Today we had Carlos Sandoval. Awesome story. Mm-hmm.